Hey everybody, welcome back to a very existential point break minute where the points don't matter and the moments are meaningless. That's right, the points are just like Bodie and Tyler's relationship at this point. It just doesn't matter. Nothing matters. We, God, this is so depressing. Um, anyway, it's just uh, Jessa and I today. Um, we had a little bit of a mishap and we're feeling a little bit raw about it. Uh, the guest we had, um, we, it was a great episode, and we were having a great time recording with them, and then their audio just kind of sucked. And it was just, uh, so there's been a few times where I've been able to just edit around it and sort of make it sound a little bit pa- palatable, but this one was just not going to happen. And uh, we, we, I figured that out just a little bit too late, and uh, here we are, and we've just got to go ahead with it. And we're uh, we're going to sort of be rehashing some of the things we talked about, um, and we're going to make it sound fresh and frisky. Just just for you uh, point break heads out there. Anyway, I'm Murren Kennedy. And I'm Jessa Lowe. <laughs> hey, Jessa, how's it going? Good. How about you? I'm feeling pretty good, actually. I'm uh, I'm feeling a little bit better about it. Uh, I don't know. Like, we should just stop talking about the, the mistakes that happened and just move on. Just like yep. Bodie would. You know, Bo- you just got to roll with the waves. Yep. Anyway, we are on minute 42 of point break. And it's a, it's a pretty juicy minute, I got to say. Um... We got uh, Bodie. Uh, it starts with Nathaniel. If you want to, um, do you do you want to recap the minute like you usually do, or uh, do you want to just shake it up? It's totally up to you. You know what? I'll just take it away. Let's do it. Um, so it starts with Nathaniel saying it's kind of a legend. Um, Bodie just uh, referred to the fifty-year storm. And then Bodie counters that. He said, "No, it's real. It's absolutely real. Dead serious. He's so serious. He's like, no, stop." This is not a legend. This is 100% a real thing. And he moves on to say, everything moves in cycles. So twice a century, the ocean lets us know just how small we really are. So he's really, he's, it's kind of like a story time with Bodhi situation. He's mm-hmm. just like, he's like, okay, gather around, children. I have Listen to ga- old man Bodhi. Gather around, for I have news. Um, how high, Ridge, I could not tell. <laughs> Waiting for Guffman, great mm-hmm. film. Um, so yeah, and it's kind of like, and he's passing on some of his little, uh, his little, um, witticisms, his little sort of, uh, nuggets of wisdom, lets us know just how small we really are. Um, and in the last minute we talked about the, the highest Mm -hmm. wave, uh, that someone has surfed, which was, I think, 78, 78 yeah, Garrett McNamara. I posted the, yeah, I posted the video, not Svot, Svot, Scott McNamara. I, I like Svot McNamara. Svot. Um, yeah, it was Garrett McNamara. And mm. uh, I watched the video of that, and I posted it on the, the Listener Surf Shop, and that's insane. I actually didn't watch it, but it's pretty pretty gnarly. It made me feel, uh, yeah, I mean, just like uh, Grama was talking about, your balls feel about this big. My balls felt fairly small watching that, I would yeah, have to so say. Yeah, how feel? It felt, my balls felt pretty small. What does that feel like? What does that feel like? Uh uh, it's like nerves. I don't know, like stomach nerves. Like you know. Um, Do you feel it in your balls? Yeah, a little bit. Hmm. That's what I've, I think that I've established that at this point. <laughs> <laughs> we can uh, let's move on from that. Uh, but yeah, it was just like, uh, how is he still alive? Sort of thing. Like how how did everyone in the camera shot with that wave? How are they still alive and not just? Well, did they crash into them or something? No, but it looked like it. I mean. 
I don't know. Anyway, it's it was it was just really really intense, even more so than this I. This was a really I had trying experience for Marin. He's he's just very shaken up I'm about fi- it. I'm fine. It was it was just it, it struck me. Yeah, I'm really fine. <laughs> oh boy. Um. Anyway, uh, he he's talking about how small we really are, and a storm comes out of Antarctica, tearing up the Pacific. And it sends a huge swell north 2,000 miles. And when it hits Bell's Beach, it'll turn into the biggest surf this planet has ever seen. And I will be there. And so will I. And so will I, says Nathaniel. Uh, just sort of jumping on the bandwagon there. So uh, I, I looked at a map. And um, according to that map, Australia is in the Indian Ocean. Um, so, I mean, just on the border, I guess. So when he says Pacific, that may be a little inaccurate, but maybe maps differ. But 2,000 miles was just about spot on. So they knew what they were talking about uh, with that that they little There were no namby-pambies with these numbers. They were going to get them accurate. Accuracy is very important. Um, as I was saying, like, you know, we don't want to Neil deGrasse Tyson this shit, but yeah, we're, we're doing minute by minute. So we got to look at the facts, look at the numbers, just break Do down we? the... Well, I guess I did say that the points are the points are pointless and the meaning the moments are meaningless. That's an even better intro than I came up with. There you go. Um, but not really. We care deeply about Point Break. Um, so yeah, Bell's Beach, uh, biggest surface planet has ever seen. Um, I mean, he doesn't have the internet as we talked about with uh, our, our guest, uh, so he doesn't know for sure. But you know, it's probably a little bit of hyperbole. He can't know for sure, but. Does he have like a farmer's almanac of the ocean for the entire uh, planet? I don't think he needs one because he's one with the ocean. Oh, yeah. So he just knows. He senses it. Mm-hmm. He's like a dog before an earthquake. He can read the waves. The, the waves talk to him, I think. The waves tell him tell him their secrets. Hmm. So Nathaniel jumps on the bad wagon, and then everyone just sort of starts whooping and yelling. And then whooping. Booty... <laughs> Whooping and, and yelling and, and dancing around. And hollering and uh, hooting and it. <laughs> and yelling and hooting. And that, what's that that line from uh, uh, Arlo Guthrie, the uh, oh, I don't restaurant? I don't anyway, know. I, don't, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, someone out there will, maybe. I have a, very, a vague memory of that, uh, the Alice's restaurant. Some whooping and hollering and yelling. Anyway. Is this a movie? It's a it's a record. Alice's Restaurant. Um, it's a it's like a thirty minute song about. Uh, I don't Sounds remember great. very much of it at all. It's so good. Gotta Our, love a thirty minute song. Woody Guthrie's son, Arlo Guthrie. It's like this little folk song. It's uh, and it's like a traditional Thanksgiving song kind of. Uh, my mom used to play it on a record, oh. and it's a story. It's just sort of this uh, meandering story that starts at the restaurant, and then it goes. It has some Vietnam stuff and. So what you're telling me is that this is basically the precursor to Kanye's uh, "My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy." Well, there wasn't a video that went with it, but maybe there should be, or maybe there is. I really don't know. I'm but talking it's a about something I. Yeah. Song. Does he go? Did you know your girlfriend's a bird? <laughs> I hadn't noticed that. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, "Runaway." Good, good video there. Um, so then Bodie drops. The line, one of the one of the great lines of this movie, if you want the ultimate, you got to be willing to pay the ultimate price. It's not wow, tragic. stringing a guitar. He's, yeah, he's stringing a, a guitar this whole time. And, uh, you know, 
I don't. You never see him play a guitar, and you never see him even with a guitar. He's such a poser. <laughs> I, I hate to say that about Bodie, but in this moment, you know, noticing the guitar, it does seem a little bit like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, if you if you see a guitar being strung, you want to see it played later. I mean, it's like it's the rule of Chekhov's no, guitar. No, if I'm seeing a guitar being strung, I'm like, mm. <laughs> I'd rather not. Yeah, like well, can we not? Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. I just have to say, in, in a like, in a party uh, situation, I guess. No, no, not even. No, I'm, somebody, I'm agreeing with you. Like in a party situation, you don't want to hear that. Yeah, I don't want to hear it anytime. You don't want to hear guitar music ever. No, I mean, <laughs> I as a woman musician growing up i have spent too many an hour sitting while a guy plays guitar making awkward eye contact incessantly (laughs) the entire time while i sit there and go oh oh great oh yeah lovely oh yeah uh yeah wonderwall again great um yeah so i don't want bodie to be this person yeah, it's kind of disappointing because every time you see a guitar at a party, it is a, an instrument of seduction, a, a, a instrument of no. failed seduction. Um, so it's, it's you know the original cockblocker. Yeah, and it's never going to work um, unless you play Wonderwall, which always works. But yeah, I really don't want to think of Bodie that way. Um, so maybe maybe we're stringing it for a friend. Maybe it was for Gromit. Maybe Gromit. Gromit's just so helpless. Yeah, I He's think so I, moon moon. Or maybe either like Gromit or Nathaniel. Maybe we're like, oh, I gotta, I gotta play a song. There's this chick. Oh, they, they... Nathaniel's like, I gotta impress my kids later. <laughs> I just want my kids back. <laughs> Nathaniel is just like a, a doofy dad kind of. I, I noticed that especially in this minute, compared to the other guys who are kind of. Well, you have some uh, kitty action going on in the background here. Uh, real life, guys. Real life. Um, We're recording actually in what we refer to as the Kitty Dome, because this is, we're recording in the dining room where all the kitty fights take place. Yeah, the big showdown between our, our cats uh, happens in this area most One of the time. Kitty enters. No, two kitties enter. <laughs> One kitty leaves. No, bo- mostly they both leave. They're they're they never really hurt each other. In case you were worried. Um, so, as I was saying, Nathaniel's kind of like a doofy dad. The, the other members of the gang kind of, uh, they're a little bit dangerous, you know, kind of kind of silly. But, like, they, they seem like young, kind of cool guys, whereas he just seems like, it's it's his facial hair a little bit. Which I think our, our guest, uh, in the when we recorded this before, said he looks like he's about to do, a, a, like, a role in a Shakespeare play. Yeah. He has kind of like the goatee. He looks kind of like Joseph Fiennes in Shakespeare in Love. But he just looks like, and I think he has a windbreaker sometimes, maybe in later minutes, and it just kind of reminds me of, like, the dad who's trying to be cool and, like, you know, maintain his youth. Anyway. Um, so maybe maybe the guitar is for one of them, because they would need that, or they would try that to impress the, the girls they're with. Speaking of the girls they're with, every guy, grab a girl, um, you're dancing in the street, guys, uh, every guy has a girl here, um, uh, Bodhi is with Margarita. Margarita's kind of like uh, the, the woman he was doing. She's basically the... like a chimpanzee picking the nits out of his hair. <laughs> yeah, he was doing the, the tequila shot with her earlier. But yeah, she's just kind of like hanging on to his back and like sort of st- stroking his shirt and not really, seems kind of zoned out. Um, and then uh, Gromit 
has a woman who is kind of holding on to him, and she's kind of she's, she's hanging on for dear life. Yeah, he's jumping Still. around and hooting and hollering and yammering, and she's she's going along with it. She's sort of holding on and she's laughing at his his uh, not even jokes, but just like his mannerisms, did, I guess. Did, did, yes. Did you already get to Nathaniel's woman? No, I was about to get okay. to Nathaniel's woman. This is the this is the real crux of the matter. Um, Nathaniel's girl. Looks like uh, a teen runaway, kind of. Oh, yeah. Um, and she, the expression on her face, like, at one point he tries to brush her hair and she kind of, like, bats his hand away. Well, and she looks so, like, like in her eyes, she's staring into the fire with such deep pain of a 14-year-old who's seen too much. Yeah. I think four, 14 is a little... 17, year 17 old yeah, maybe. Who's seen too much. Yeah, she looks like the kind of girl that you ask how old she is, and she's like, I just turned 18. I mean, I will be tomorrow or next month. Um, yeah, the tragedy that you see, if you just if you just watch the extras, the, the female extras in this scene, there's a tragedy going on. Yeah. Whereas the guys are just having a great time talking about dying young, man. Um, so, yeah, there's the next thing that happens. Uh he says it's not tragic to die doing what you love and nathaniel says it's how i want to go <laughs> kind of like not a lot of enthusiasm behind it he seems kind of sincere he knows he's with Bodie. yeah um he knows so what's gonna happen they are they're all going along with this um and <laughs> gromit goes even further he, he has to one-up nathaniel and he says yeah i ain't gonna leave i ain't gonna live till i, till I see 30 I, I, I ain't going to live to, to see, see 30. 30 thank you jessa I ain't going to live to see 30. And he kind of does a little with his shoulders. And then Tyler just caps the scene off perfectly with, there's too much testosterone here. And she just kind of walks away. Is there something masculine, inherently masculine about wanting to die young? Yeah. War. It's like, you know, you're, you're a, like the soldier going off like, I'm going to go die. I'm I'm going to go, go fight for my country. Fight and yes, perhaps die. Um, <laughs> okay, so I don't know. There's just something, there's something very poetic about Bodhi's line. It's not tragic to die doing what you love. Yeah. And then, of course, Nathaniel and all the rest of them ruin it. But. Yeah, they don't quite get it like he does. Would you feel content dying on stage? I don't think about that very much. If we want to talk about like how I think about death, like I'm, no. I as we've as you know, I'm someone who doesn't think about the future very much at all. No. Um, I wish I could say that meant I lived in the present. That's not quite true. I'm not. Uh, I'm not a like all. I'm not a Bodhi. with anxiety. You live neither present nor past, but in an awkward <laughs> state in between. Yes, that's so. That's so accurate. Yes, you know. Um, but uh, if I died on stage. I don't want to die young. I want to live a full life. Um, I mean, if it came down to it, like, if I was an old person and I was just, like, bedridden and couldn't do anything, then, like, I wouldn't really want to have that life. But if I'm, you know, an old person who still gets to, you know, read and watch movies and go on short walks, like, that's a perfectly fine life for me. I'm not I'm not an adventurer like these guys are. I, I'm, I'd say I like, I mean, I like travel. I like, you know, explore, exploration. Like, But I'm not someone who likes to just go balls out and like take risks and live life to the, you know, fastest and furiousest, and let's, man. Let's be clear here. 
in case it wasn't already obvious, Marin and I have the souls of 80-year-old men trapped in our bodies. Yeah, which is why we enjoy Point Break so much. We can live vicariously through these people yes. and uh, not actually have to do it ourselves. So, like, our idea of a wild time and living, living life on the edge. It's like watching a scary movie. Yeah. It's a big deal for me to watch a scary it movie. It is. Which I have to really get, get my gall up. And you know what? We're going to come back to that later. Okay, yeah, we will come back to that. Um, so, yeah, the, the dying young, I think it is a masculine thing. Really? I don't quite, yeah, I think, I think. I mean, you don't hear a lot of women saying that, do you? I heard a mutual friend who will remain anonymous yeah, you, uh, tell me, you know, I remember you're sitting out in the grass in the summertime, and she looks at me, and she says, I'm going to die before I'm 27. Yes, but that wasn't a brag, was it? That was that was just a confession. What, that yeah. I mean, this individual was addicted to heroin at the time, so yeah. So I feel like the brag part of it is masculine, like saying like, "Hey, I, hey, man, I don't, I don't care if I live past." He's he's like, it's a you know a good thing to these people, like, oh, I'm gonna die young because fuck getting old, man. You gotta just, you know, what's what's it worth when you're old? You can't do crazy shit anymore. You might as well be dead. Yeah. And I think it is kind of like the, it's seen as brave to them. Like, you know, it's not, it's not tragic to die doing what you love. It's, it's the, the bravest act you can do. You know, it's, it proves that you're totally committed to what you're about in a mm-hmm. way. Um, But he, you know, Bodhi doesn't really take it. I think it's Nathaniel and and Gromit kind of take it to that place. Bodhi is kind of like, I might die, but they're kind of like, oh, I will. Yeah, that's true. We'll follow you, Bodhi. We'll do what we really, we really, really will. Yeah, I think for Bodhi, it's yeah. For Bodhi, it seems more like he doesn't necessarily want to die young. I think he's just it's the risk of it. It's like the you got to risk your life to be living at the fullest. Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, he has to have that, oh, it might happen um, at any moment. Uh, so he lives, you know, as if every day were his last, whereas these guys are kind of like, I have fuck, you know, I, I think Gromit is more like, that. I ain't going to live to see 30. Um, as like the, because fuck, if you're past 30, you're just lame. And being lame is the, like, I'd rather die than be lame. But, yeah. I don't know. So, Roach. Roach is the other one uh, that uh, is interesting in this scene. He's interesting in every scene, really. Uh, as I mentioned all the gang has, they have, each of them has a girl. Uh, Roach just has Rosie, who is not a woman. And his back is faced away from, is, wait, back is faced to the camera yeah. the entire He's facing scene. away from the camera. You don't see Rosie's face this whole scene. Just and, his and long hair. Roach is, fa- Roach is facing away, too, although he's cheated out a little more. Yeah. And when Gromit says, I won't live to see 30, he laughs really hard. Yeah. Uh, and I really, I really, honestly, I like Roach more and more uh, as I do this, as we're doing this, because he is kind of like, he seems a little smarter than the other guys, and uh, he's kind of on, he's, he's the one I would be, I feel like. He's, he's a little bit more contained. You would be Roach? Yeah, if I would, if I, not if I could be any of them, but if I was, like he's the closest to who I am. I feel like he's a little quieter. 
and he's not as you know just stupid yeah <laughs> i feel like i'm you know i'm the sort of the little bit smarter a little bit wiser quieter one not as cool either and that's kind of the sacrifice you have to make you know your stats can't all be great uh and, and you know D D, as it were uh but yeah he's hanging out with rosie and rosie is completely just not in the scene and but you can see is uh his little rogue blonde streak in the back of his hair which uh i found kind of funny yeah he kind of reminds me of dog the bounty hunter <laughs> yeah a little bit um anyway did you have anything else uh jessa for this minute no all right I think we really rocked it just by ourselves here <laughs> late at night. We really wanted to record this. Um, but we're committed. We're committed to Point Break, and we're going to record every gosh darn minute. And uh, we're going to make it as much of it as we can. Because um, that's what that's what Bodhi would do. Mm-hmm. You gotta If you want the ultimate, you got to be willing to pay the ultimate price. Exactly. I'm going to start dropping that into conversations as much as I can. Please do. All right. So we were going to talk about uh, some movies we saw recently. Like we do. Mm-hmm. Maybe, usually they're recommendations, but uh, maybe not this time? Mine is just going to be a word vomit. Okay, go for it. I'll, I'll add to your vomit. So this is neither a recommendation nor an anti-recommendation. This is just, I saw this movie and I need to talk about it. So, Murin and I watched... It Comes at Night. Thank you. I could not remember the name. It Comes at Night. Watches It Comes at Night uh, a couple nights ago, and which is a big deal. Murin doesn't watch horror movies. Um, that's not his scene. Um, I do sometimes, but it's not. Yeah, it's it's a. Uh, you would. I have watch to get my gall up, own. as I said. No, no, I would never watch one on my own. I have yeah. to have at least you, if not more people, buffering yeah. my. You know, as a buffer. Yeah. Um. So, It Comes at Night is a film that's kind of billed as a horror film, but is really more a look at paranoia and the horror of what paranoia can do to... Yeah. That's what comes at night. Yeah. Fear. Yeah. And uh, irrational fear, in some cases. Yeah. And, um... Spoiler alert, so if you are going to see this movie, I would highly recommend just shutting off the podcast now. Yeah, you don't, uh, if you do want to see this movie, you don't want to know what happens. You, yeah. You want it to be a little surprising. So yeah, from here on out, we're spoiling it. So the, it's basically what you would expect like a zombie movie to be almost, but there's no zombies. So it's... Yeah, there, there's a, a virus that has wiped out a lot of humanity and sort of uh, it's it's post-apocalyptic. Um, Not really. No? I mean, it's, it, it's, I would say, like, pretty accurate to current times. Like, it doesn't seem to me like, it seems to me that maybe it's, the infection has been going on for, like, six months. Yeah, but it seems to have, I mean, they don't really, like, food is scarce, water is scarce, they don't seem to have any that's, electricity. That's true, but when you say po- post-apocalyptic, it's, it's nowhere near Mad Max, it's nowhere near anything like that. It's uh, Not not aesthetically, like, like there's still, you know, it isn't like a nuclear wasteland, it's not like desert, but it seems like there aren't as many people around, like, there are a lot of people probably have died, 
And um, that's how I define like post-apocalyptic. Like the world has been changed. Yeah. Maybe not in appearance. Like it still looks like the same world. It's just like, you know. Anyway, you can define it differently, I guess. But that's how I thought of it. Yeah. No, I, I dig it. I can get it. You can you can dig it? I can dig it. Um, but the film um, is really, really dark. It's incredibly dark, yeah. And within the first five minutes of the movie, Myrne and I, we watched it with a friend, and we were all like, well, this is going to be a film. This is going to be an undertaking. Yeah. Um, and it just continues to keep hammering in things keep on getting worse and worse and it's like oh they couldn't possibly do that they couldn't possibly behave this way oh but they do and it's a little bit predictable in some of the parts in the end but you know it's gonna be bad you know yeah you know once it hit a certain point in the movie you're like oh shit oh shit like, I, I think I know what's going to happen, but I really hope it doesn't, because that's bleak. Yeah. The movie opening is someone dying and then having be, having their body set on fire. Way darker than that, though, by any means. Yeah, it gets darker, like, but that's where it starts. Way, but no, I mean, that's it's way darker than how you're describing it, too. It's not just like, guy dies, his body's on fire. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's like the grandfather. And... You know, this, so, okay. So the scene, the the movie begins with an old man staring at the screen. And he's infected and he's dying. You hear a muffled voice telling him to just let go. Just let go and he won't be in any pain anymore. And trying to convince him to allow himself to slip into death. And the screen pulls back, and it's a woman in a gas mask talking to him. Mm -hmm. And it's her dad. And the woman's husband, who is also in a gas mask, says it's time. And he and their son, also in a gas mask, load him up into a wheelbarrow, take him out into the woods. The son witnesses his dad put a pillow and shoot his grandfather in his head i forgot about the assisted suicide bit yeah i would say it's it's a little bit more than that yeah maybe not as consensual yeah yeah um i mean they're putting them out of their misery i guess yeah but it wasn't you know they didn't sign anything they didn't didn't have a discussion about it 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 was just it just happened and uh and the movie bookends with that as well which i thought made for just a really interesting experience. I don't know. Yeah, it was. Um, this movie, uh, I, I didn't love it, but I thought it was very good. Um, it was well acted. I, I, would, I would recommend it. If, it's, if, you, if you're down for a really, really dark movie, it's not uh, particularly... There are some parts that are very scary, but it's not like a, a fright fest in any way. It's more just very, very dark and, uh, and depressing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's about, you know, people being pushed to their limits and having to do very dark things to preserve, to survive, basically. Yeah. There's a, I was just going to call out one scene since we're spoiling it. At the end, there, you know, there's these two families. Um, they, they, the Joel Edgerton, Carmen Ajogo, 
uh, and uh, Kelvin Harrison Jr. plays their son, and he is incredibly good yes. in this. He's a standout performance. I look forward to seeing this young actor thought, do great things. I thought Joel Edgerton was really good, too. Yeah, he's great, too. He's always good. Um, and then this other family, they, they end up taking them in just because, like, well, we have a house and you need one. Uh, there's more to it than that, but basically they, they, they're living together, but then that leads to more paranoia, and they don't quite trust each other. And at the end, the uh, Joel Edgerton family um, he and uh, and his wife kill the other family, basically, um, after a, sort of an escalation. And one of the... At the end, there's um, the husband of the other family is dead, and the child is dead, and the wife, played by Riley Keough, is just wailing about how... <laughs> Her child is dead. Her, her like toddler is dead. It was like five. He's just been killed in front of her, and she's just like totally lost it. And then Joel, it goes to Joel Edgerton, who has like a, a rifle, and he just does. This, it was really, really mm-hmm. some of the best, one of the best acted just moments mm-hmm. I've seen all year, where he just like looks, closes his eyes, looks away for a minute, and then you realize what he's gonna do, and he just shoots her, and then he just kind of like looks down and shudders for a second. It was just like so perfectly such a perfect moment of acting and i just really love that it's so fucking dark yeah that's one. that's the moment that really got me i was like oh crap that's that hit me yeah so yeah really dark um really well made really well acted if you're down for that uh i'd recommend it um hopefully if if you haven't seen it hopefully you haven't listened this far uh but yeah um anyway uh i'd recommend that i'd also recommend another movie i saw recently which is a for some awards uh, Phantom Thread. Um, I think we, uh, of the ones I've seen, it is my favorite for Best Picture at this point. I doubt it's going to win, although I don't really know how these, you know, people have the fun like predicting who's going to win. I don't really know how that works. Um, three Billboards won the Golden Globe, uh, but I don't know. That one's kind of getting some backlash. Anyway, Phantom Thread oh, is my God. favorite. Yeah, because of, like the, um, the the easy forgiveness of Sam Rockwell's character is that's getting some backlash because. They feel like, you know, he's this bigot, but he just kind of, the movie seems to redeem him. And I don't know if I agree with that. I don't agree with that. But that's the talk that I've I've heard some people talk about on the movie threads that I follow and whatnot. Anyway, um, Phantom Thread, I actually liked more anyway. Um, I went into it thinking like, oh, this is Paul Thomas Anderson and Daniel Day-Lewis. And the last thing they did together was Deadly Blood, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. So I tried to keep my expectations low. I was like, "Oh, this, you know, this might not live up to that," and I think it did. Um, it's uh, it's a slower movie. Um, it it plays. Uh, I, I yeah, I wasn't really sure what to expect from one moment to the next. At first, it kind of plays out like, "Oh, there's this very you know uh, finicky guy who's a very like perfection. He's a perfectionist and he's an artist, he's a dressmaker." Um, and, uh, he has a very particular lifestyle and, uh, then he meets this waitress and they, their, their freaking chemistry, Vicky Kripes and Daniel Day-Lewis, they, the scene where he's like ordering, he goes on the vacation and he's ordering food, uh, and he, she she's taking his order and he keeps like asking for another thing and I'll get a rabbit and, uh, and a, a toast with uh, jam what kind of jam do you have and then he keeps going for and he like asks for another thing and like he's smiling at her and she's like blushing and it's so charming uh but kind of off-putting too because it's daniel day lewis um it's it's fun to see him get to play a charming man again who's also kind of a a monster in some ways like he's not he's can be very cruel at times and he's you know a very kind of inhuman in some ways 
he's kind of a machine in his work, but he's also just like very charming. He's not this crazy, scary person that you see him play in like There Will Be Blood or Gangs of New York. Oh, my voice. <clears throat> I'll edit that out. Anyway, uh, I loved it. Um, there's it, it plays very slow for a while, but I found the romance very compelling. And then it turned into it turns into something else, and the relationship becomes even more interesting uh, in a very interesting little uh, twist, kind of kind of twist at the end or toward the end of the movie. Uh, and I don't want to spoil that. I'm not even going to say anything. So I recommend Phantom Thread. Uh, I think it's Paul Thomas, one of Paul Thomas Anderson's best movies, uh, and that's saying a lot. So there you go. Did you have anything you wanted to else you want to talk about, Jessica? I'm good. All right, let's wrap it up. We um we certainly did a podcast. We uh we filled we some did time. Something. We talked. There were some words. Uh and we'll we'll be back again. Uh it'll just be us for a little bit, I think. Uh but we'll get some great guests back. We we love having our good guests and uh uh, we look forward to that. And uh thank you so much for sticking with us and uh sharing the point break love. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. I encourage you to do that. That really helps us out. Um, if you uh, if you want to give us a five star review, if you don't want to give us a five star review, then just don't do anything at all. Just uh, just don't do anything. You can just unsubscribe. I don't mind if you do that. Or you know, just le- let the let the let it keep going. You don't have to listen. Just let it download, and they'll give us some more numbers. Anyway, um, yeah, we'll catch you next time. Another point break minute, bro. Woo!